We are definitely excited about Pooler. I'm looking forward to seeing what God does there. We have some folks from Pooler with us today who are part of that group. If you will, would y'all stand up, let us see your faces and see. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that. We're excited. There's already such a great core group of people down there who are meeting and and doing life together. We're just excited to see what God's going to do with that, how he's going to multiply that, how he's going to reach people um, with the gospel and, and change people's lives through the power of Jesus. And so we're looking forward to seeing how that happens. We'll start meeting on Sunday nights, um, having a full worship service there um, in January. And then uh, probably somewhere close to Easter, we'll start doing Sunday mornings. And so um, that's the plan as of right now, unless God changes it. But we are looking forward to seeing how God works and, and uses those folks in Pooler. Um, today I'm excited about continuing the Better Story series and looking forward to seeing how God moves throughout this message and throughout this series. We're hearing of, of great stories about how God's moving and working. And, and my prayer is that he continues to do that um, in your hearts today. Uh, I will tell you the first three weeks, and we're in the third week right now, they're, they're sort of what I would call diagnostic weeks. They're, they're weeks where we begin to to see what's going on in us. We begin to look at how, how we got to where we are, um, what shaped us and made us the people that we are. And sometimes in that shaping and molding that takes place, um, sometimes we can begin to believe lies about who we are. And it may not line up with scripture. And this whole series is about us coming to an accurate identity in who we are in Christ. Um, because I believe this, when we can really begin to see ourselves in Christ and see who Christ has made us to be, then we can truly begin to live out of that and become what God wants us to become. And so we're going to be looking at that again today, and we're going to be in Genesis chapter 37. Again, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11, and then I want to read these verses and pray for us, and then we'll jump into the message here. So Genesis chapter 37, verse 1, it says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph a young man of 17 was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. And so that's going to be really important. We looked at last week how Joseph knew the love of his father. He knew he was the favorite. We looked at how he knew that God loved him. He had given them these dreams that we're about to read about. And so we looked at Joseph's life. It says because he had been born to him in his old age and he made him an, ornament ro an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain in, in the field, and when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. He told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that we get to hear it. We get to have it um, 
penetrate our hearts and change our lives, God. We thank you that you're here right now. I pray that you would flow through this place, God, like a river and that rivers of living water would rise up in us and pour out into this community, into this world. God, I pray that you'll just continue to speak to our hearts, continue to transform us to be like Christ and let us walk in the identity that you've given us in him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. How many of you are like me and you like to nap sometimes? Any nappers in here? Good Sunday afternoon nap. What I found is if you turn on ESPN, there's usually bowling or something like that on, puts you right to sleep on Sunday afternoon. And uh, so I'm, I'm a big napper. I like to nap sometimes myself. And um, have you ever had that experience, though, where like you slept so hard during that nap that you woke up and your pillow was like wet from drooling on your pillow, right? And, and you kind of get that feeling like when you wake up, you're like, I don't know where I am, right? You don't know where you are. You don't know how you got there. For some of you, that's been your whole college experience. You need to cut that out, <laughs> right? And so, but, but reality is sometimes when I nap, I wake up and I'm looking at the walls and I'm in a familiar place, but I can't tell it. And I'm trying to figure out how I got to where I am. And uh, the reality of it is this for us, that in life, sometimes we end up in the same place. We end up in that same place type of, of place, but it's how, when we look at our life as a whole and we wonder, how did I get here? How did I end up here? For, for a lot of us, we're not where we thought we would be when we were 10 years old or 15 years old or however old we were. And, and life has taken some different turns and twists and, and maybe we're not the same person we thought we would be or and maybe it's for the good, maybe we feel like it's not for the good. But the reality of it is for all of us, we tend to look at our lives oftentimes and wonder, how did I, how did I get here? This is not what I had in mind. And sometimes those events and circumstances and things, and we're going to look at these today, cause us to see ourselves a certain way. There's been influences in our lives that have shaped and molded us and made us the people that we are and made us to see the world the way that we see it, made us to see ourselves the way that we see ourselves. And so it's important for us to begin to recognize the influences that have made us the way we are. Last week, we talked about sore spots. And if you remember, a sore spot is one of those things, the they or the them or the it, that, that when you come in contact with it or they come in contact with you, it sends you into this downward spiral, so to speak. Your life it just goes kind of in the pits or in, into a funk when you get around these, these certain people or you're reminded of this event or you're, you, you see them, those kind of things, and it tends to make your life spiral right? And, and the reality for us is that we all have those. The one thing that I can tell you is that we all have sore spots. Um, it's kind of like though when you have a sunburn. It, never se- it seems like nobody ever pats you on the back until you have a sunburn. You know what I mean? And, and then it seems like everybody wants to pat you on the back. I don't think it's that nobody ever pats us on the back or touches our back. I think it's just that we feel it more. We notice it more when we have sunburn on our back because it hurts. Same thing with the sore spots. People seem to hit those all the time and it tends to control our lives and the way we think and the way we see life. Have you ever stopped to ask the question and really ponder it and really investigate the question of how did I get here? How did I get to seeing myself the way I see myself, whether good or bad? How how did I get to a place where I don't think I can make a difference in the world anymore? How did I get to a place where condemnation seems to control my life? Or how did I get to a place where I quit believing that God had a better story for my life, something that he wanted to do in my life? When did we get to a place where we quit thinking that we could change, that God could change us? When did we 
start living in a false identity and some of the lies that Satan wants us to believe about ourselves and about life. And for many of us, we, we need to ask that question. How did I get here? What has shaped and made me who I am? Because this is the thing that I know to be true. Every person in here has some type of identity crisis. Every person in here has some view of themselves that's inaccurate according to God's word. We all do. You know who had an identity crisis in the Bible? Everybody. Everybody had one, except Jesus. Jesus was perfect, so he didn't have one. But everybody else did. I mean, it's just human nature. We're fallen. We're not, we're not exactly the way we were, to be, were intended to be. Sin has marred us, and, and we have lost touch in many ways with our identity giver, which is God, the creator. And so we need to recognize this. I told you last week, I don't think many people live um, in the freedom that Jesus wants us to live in. Many, many people would mentally assent to John 8, 32, where Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. But unfortunately for many of us, we've not walked in that truth. We, we know that God has set us free from sin and death through Jesus. And, and we see that, but we haven't walked in the freedom that God truly wants to give us where we can, can walk free of, of our past, walk free of sin, walk free of, of negative uh, ways of seeing ourselves and thinking about ourselves and seeing the world, but being able to see it through God's eyes and the way he wants us to see and the way he wants us to see ourselves. Many of us have not experienced what that's truly like. And one of the reasons we haven't is because every single day we have thousands of influences that come into our, our, our lives we have all, all kinds of information that's coming into our lives that's, that's causing us to see ourselves in certain ways. It causes us to, to think about ourselves in certain ways. It causes us to see the world in certain ways. It causes us to think that we ought to be something or, or, or be something different than what we are. And, and so the influences in the world are constantly causing us to see ourselves in one light or the other. And here's the thing that I would challenge you with today. The influences that we're going to look at that have shaped and molded us, they may have caused us to become the people that we are, but they're not excuses for us to stay the way we are. It's okay to admit that we're not okay, but God doesn't want us to stay that way. He wants to heal us. He wants to make us whole. He wants to transform us. He wants to give us an identity that is accurate and true according to his word. And so we need to really be able to see that. Last week, we looked at Joseph's life. And how Joseph had the love of his father, his earthly father. He, he had dreams from his heavenly father. And we see that, that they uh, helped to give his life a resiliency that other people around him didn't have. And, and it seemed like he was sort of like a cork. He would get taken under by, by these different experiences in life, whether it's being sold as a slave uh, to the, by his brothers, whether it was being in prison in Egypt, whatever it was, those different things we looked at last week, he seemed like he always pops back up to the surface. And one of the things that made him so resilient was the fact that he knew who he was. He was able to look at, he had the love of his father. He had dreams and promises given to him by God. And those things made him uh, able to withstand that adversity. He knew that he had a purpose. And, and so we looked at him, but I remember preaching this message about five years ago or one very similar to it. And, and when we went through the better story the first time and since then God's tweaked it and changed it and we've learned new things and that kind of stuff. But, but I remember preaching that message about Joseph and, and how he had the promises of God. He had the love of his earthly father. And I had a friend of mine come up to me and 
He was always trying to wiggle out of like why the message applied that didn't apply to him. He was always trying to find that angle. So like, it didn't really apply to me. And he's a good friend, but he would always try to do that. And so he said, what if you're not like Joseph? And I know him pretty well. I said, you're exactly right. You're not like Joseph. I said, you're, you're like his brothers. You're like his brothers because I said, you never had the, the love of your earthly father affirm you in who you are. And you never had the love of your heavenly father or experienced that love in a way that it impacted your life. And so he began to realize that he was more like the, old, the, the brothers. And, and the thing that I would say is that for us in here today, there are more of us who are probably like the brothers than we are like Joseph. And, and the reality of it is that we, we maybe didn't have that earthly father that affirmed us and told us we were good and told us, you know, uh, affirming things. Maybe it was negativity that came from our earthly father, our earthly parents. Maybe we haven't experienced the love of God that confirms us and tells us that we are okay, that we're going to be okay. Maybe for us, we can identify with these brothers more as it says that they weren't loved as much as Joseph. Maybe that's been our experience. The good news is if that's our experience and that's what we've been taught, then God still has a plan for us too. God still has a plan for your life. God still has a better story to write in your life. He has a story he wants to write that, that lets other people see the goodness of God, that lets other people see his glory. That's what our whole life is about. He doesn't promise us that everything's gonna be perfect and everything's gonna go the way we want it to go, but he does promise us that he's overcome the world and we can have joy and peace we have love, patience, kindness, all these fruits that the Spirit produces in us that the world can't take away. And so we can have those things and God wants to do those things. But if we're going to do it, we've got to walk in the truth of who God says we are and the truth that he's given us. And we've got to hold on to those truths because a lot of us have believed untruths about ourselves and about who we're supposed to be. And I want to give you today three areas that have influenced every single one of us in some way that have caused us to be the way we are, but remember, not excuses to stay the way we are. And so we're gonna talk about three different influences in our lives. The first one, if you wanna write it down, is major events, major events in our lives that have shaped and molded us. Some of you might call this a defining moment, a moment when it seemed to change everything. It was a defining moment in your life that seemed to change everything. And, and it kind of begins to shape your identity, maybe how you see yourself, maybe how others see you. I wanna give you an example. It's actually in the Gospel of John. John chapter 20, verses 24 and 25. It's about a man by the name of Thomas. Now, this is after Jesus's crucifixion. He's, he's raised from the, the dead and he is showing himself, revealing himself to his disciples, showing that he's alive. And this is what it says in verse 24 of John chapter 20. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And some of you have heard that story. and You even know what we've nicknamed Thomas. What is Thomas's nickname? Doubting Thomas. Everybody calls him Doubting Thomas because of one event in his life, right? And now the poor guy is, is labeled as Doubting Thomas. But for eternity, he'll always be Doubting Thomas. But what we don't talk about 
is, is when we look in uh, John chapter 11, I believe it is, Jesus goes to raise Lazarus. He's got to go back to Judea where he had just left. He's going there to raise Lazarus, a friend of his from the dead. And as he goes um, or starts to go, the disciples try to talk him out of it. They say, Jesus, don't go there. Um, they tried to kill you. They tried to stone you when you were there last time. And Jesus is going to go there anyway. And Thomas is the one who speaks up and says, let us go and die with him, right? We don't talk about that. We don't call him courageous Thomas. We call him doubting Thomas because of one moment in his life, right? That he had some doubts. And, and so we labeled him. It was a defining moment for him as to who he is and how they, people saw him and how we even think about him today. And some of us have had those moments in our lives where it was an event that happened that caused us to see life a certain way, an event that happened that caused us to feel a certain way that maybe even began to be our identity, began to define us. Some of it might be like a loss, losing somebody that we really care about, losing somebody that um, we, we were close to. It may have been the loss of a job. It could have been any of those things, but they began to make us see ourselves in a certain way. We began to sometimes see God in a certain way because of those events, because of the loss. It might be a, a wife or a husband, a son, a daughter. It might be a mother or a father. It's caused us to see life differently because of that event. Sometimes what happens is when we experience pain, we take the pain that we experience and we transpose it onto God. And so we begin to see God a certain way. And so we don't see him accurately. If we don't see God accurately, it's going to be impossible for us to see ourselves accurately. And so the reality of it is many times we judge God by the things that happen here on earth. And we say, if God was good, he wouldn't allow this to happen. This would not have happened. And here's the thing I want you to know is that I struggle with that myself. Many times the things that have happened in my life and things I've watched go on in people in the church's life, I sometimes get to this place where I'm just like, why? Why is this happening? Why is this going on? Why, does the, why do these things have to happen? I've had the thought, if God was good, why would he allow this? And the thing I can tell you is there's so many situations that I don't know. I don't know why God allows things. I don't know why certain things happen. But I know this, this is what I do know, and I've told you this before, and I'll probably tell you this as long as I'm speaking up here. I know four things about God. I know that when I don't understand, I know this, I know that God is good. I know that God is good because I look at the cross and I see what he's done for me through Jesus. You can't look at the cross and not see the goodness of God and what he did for us in Christ. You see that God is sovereign. It means he's in control, he's powerful. He's able to do what it is he wants to do, which the third one is that he's faithful. And so we see that he fulfills all of his promises. Because he's sovereign, he can fulfill those promises. There's not a question of if God can do it. And so when we see that God is good, that God is faithful, and that God is sovereign, we can come to the fourth conclusion that I can trust him. Because he, a good God who is faithful to his promises, is in control of life. So even when I don't understand, I can trust him because I know those things. Look, it's a lot easier to say those things than it is to do them, right? It's a lot easier to say that than it is to live it out. It's something that we have to fight for, we have to fight with, is the truth of God's word to see him accurately as well. For some of us, the tragedy in our life or something that's happened in our life can become our identity from the standpoint of we begin to experience condemnation even because what if I had done something different? How could I have changed that outcome? How could I have changed that situation how could I have done something that would have altered the way things went? And sometimes we have a problem with even being able to be joyful 
One's because of the pain in our heart, but two, sometimes we can feel like our joy would, would invalidate another person's pain or that if I have joy, if I allow joy back into my heart, then it's going to invalidate the memory that I have of this person or what is going on through the, the tragedy. And so we have to look at that and realize that, that that's not true. That's not accurate. And that God wants to still write a better story in our lives. For some of us, the, ma- the major event might have been uh, a divorce. I talked to so many divorced people that they, they let divorce define who they are. They'll always seemingly carry around a D on their chest for divorce. And it's like it becomes their identity and who they are. And so we think it'll define us forever. So for some of us, it's not someone that we lost, but it might be something that we lost. Maybe it was rape or abuse or molestation that happened. And it wasn't someone that you lost, but something that was robbed from you, like your dignity, your purity, your innocence. Maybe that's your story. I wanna read to you the story of a young lady in our church. And I want you to hear where she was and what God's brought her through. It says, at the young age of eight, I was raped by my cousin and molested numerous times over the course of a year. My mother had noticed a change in me and told me that if there was anything that I needed to tell her that I could and that she loved me. A week went by and I had a nervous breakdown. A few days later, I was seeing a therapist after school once a week for a few months and then once a month for a year. For so long, I blamed myself. I felt ugly, dirty, and unworthy. My self-esteem plummeted. I trusted no one and I became angry at God. I went to church off and on throughout my life and had a poor foundation of what it truly meant to be a follower of Christ, but I knew I needed to forgive my cousin so that I could heal. After forgiving him, I thought I would feel better, but I didn't. I grew angrier and bitter. As I got older, I had a few relationships that didn't last and they ended badly and I realized that my past would always haunt me. I would just remain this this statistic. I would always be ugly, dirty, and unworthy. My sophomore year of college, I went through a downward spiral of drinking, partying, and doing things I should not have been doing, all to suppress the hurt for just a little bit longer. It was an attempt to forget. I would pray at night asking God to help me, asking for forgiveness, but I truly didn't want to receive it. I wanted to do it on my own because I believed the lie that God didn't love me. And after years of running, he surely couldn't save someone ugly, dirty, and unworthy like me. I started finding my satisfaction and self-worth in the guys I dated, the clothes I wore, and the things that I did. For so long, I had an identity crisis. I didn't know who I truly was. After graduating from Georgia Southern University, I had to finish up my degree by taking classes over the summer. I'll never forget the day that a girl in my class sitting next to me saw the tattoo of the Jesus fish on my foot. She proceeded to comment on it, how much she liked it, and asked if I was a Christian. I told her that I would like to believe that I am, but not a very good one. She responded with asking me where I was going to church. I told her that I'd been to a few churches around town, but was not having any luck as to one that I particularly liked. She then invited me to try out Connection Church. I can't thank this girl enough for being so bold and asking me to come to the church where God would change my heart and forever change my life. A few years ago at the age of 23, I went from death to life and partook in spontaneous baptisms at our church one Sunday. 
Later that year, I read John 7, 11 through 16 alongside 40,000 other college students at Passion and realized that my funeral had been interrupted, that my identity in Christ, that I, my identity is in Christ and that through him, I'm made clean. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I know now that God has written a better story for me even one that far surpasses mine. Amen. The thing that I want you to really hear in that is the hope that we have, the hope that we have in Christ, even though our world has been shaped to a certain, uh, in a certain way for, for maybe so many years or so long, there's still hope in Christ that Jesus can do a work in us to transform us and give us new life, to make us a new creation. And I want this morning, that, and my prayer is this morning, that the Holy Spirit will begin to reveal these things to us and show us the things that we have believed that are not true, that are lies, that maybe the events of our life have taught us. The second area that we find that shapes us tremendously is our culture, the culture around us. How much does the world tell us who we are? Think about how many influences culture has in our lives now, especially with uh, smartphones and the internet right at our fingertips and constantly seeing ads and different things, whether it's on the TV or whether it's a billboard or, or, or a commercial or whatever it might be, a magazine. So many different things that tell us who we are or who we're supposed to be. But I'll tell you this. You're never going to know who you really are if you're learning it from someone who wants something from you. Amen. And see, here's the great thing about God. God needs nothing from us. And he tells us accurately in his word who we are. And so people are giving you these ads and they're putting all this stuff in your mind and you're, you're hearing all these things. And the reality of it is they want something from you. They want you to believe a certain way. They want to shape your thinking, your mindset, the way you see yourself. And I'm telling you that there's a greater truth in culture and that truth is the gospel. That truth is in scripture. The only place you can find an accurate identity is in God's word and in his truth. For so many of us, listen, as growing up, you, you were told by culture that if you were gonna be accepted, if you were gonna be right, you had to be in the popular crowd. You had to dress a certain way, think a certain way, do certain things. For some of us, we, we heard this message that if you're going to be right, if you're going to be okay, then, then sex is what you need to do. You need to have sex or you need to try this drug or you need to do this or all of the above. And look, we, we've fallen into that trap of believing culture. Ladies, some of you thought that I'll find my satisfaction in this guy. And if I put my trust in this guy, if I, if I invest my life into him, maybe he'll do for me what I can't do for myself. Maybe I'll feel validated. Maybe I'll feel affirmed. And then the culture that tells you it's okay to live the way you want to live, that sex is the thing that you should do, then seems it turns against you. Some of it affirms you, but then there seems to be part of it, even your own heart, that begins to condemn you. And most of the time it's what we believe about ourselves that's the worst, even to the point that we get to where we say, God may forgive me, but I can't forgive myself. And culture feeds us these lies that this is who we should be and who we have to be. 
for guys, we bought into the lie that we should objectify women, right? We should just look at them. And I've told you this before, but like a KFC bucket, right? They're they're thighs and and legs and and breasts. And that's all it is. It's like this KFC bucket that we look at and we just objectify women. One time I accidentally said wings. And if you've got a girl with wings, you need to get away from that situation quickly. But, But... it's true, man, that, that, that we've been taught just to objectify women, to just look at them as an object. And that's not what God intends. That's not, we're told that, guys, if we don't have sex with as many girls as we can, then something's wrong with us. That's not true. That's not true. God tells us the best way, the better way. We've just got to trust him enough to live according to what he says. The culture tells you that this book The Bible is antiquated, that it's old, that it's no longer of of any value, that this was just some man-made thing. I'm telling you, there's the truth. And if you explore it for yourself, you'll find out that it's the truth. And it has the ability to transform your lives. But culture wants to tell us these things. The world wants to lie to us and make us believe lies about ourselves and who we are and who we're supposed to become. I want to read another scripture to you. It's in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What Paul, who wrote this to the Romans, is saying, he's saying, look, in light of what Jesus has done for you, that he gave his life for you, that he, he, he took your sin, that he, he took your, your death so he could give you life in light of what he's done for you. He's saying the the only rational thing to do is to offer him your body, offer him your life. He's saying offer your whole self to him in light of what he's done for you. And so we see we don't offer ourselves to the world around us. We offer it to Jesus. We don't be conformed to the world around us. We're transformed by Jesus. And it says that in verse 2, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so he's saying, don't let your mind be shaped by what's going on around you. Let your mind be shaped by the truth of God's word. Let your mind be shaped by what he tells you in, his, in scripture so that you can have an accurate view of life, the world, and yourself. Don't let somebody or something else tell you who you are. It makes sense to go to the creator, if you're the creation, to find out who you are and why you exist. It's the only place we're going to find it is in his word. We can search everywhere else, but it's in his word that we're going to actually find it. And so the culture tries to tell us who we are. The third one, the last one, is our caregivers, or people of influence in our lives, the people who who, who raised us, who had big parts of influence in our lives, who, who taught us things, who shaped us and molded us. There's maybe parents or other people who've influenced you greatly and helped to shape your identity. Here's the thing that I'll tell you because I'm not gonna beat up on parents here. I'm, I am one. And the thing that I know about parenting is that we all jack it up to some degree, right? We all mess it up and I, I'm included in that. Every one of us have daddy issues. You can have the greatest daddy in the world. I'm not trying to offend you about your father. But what I'm telling you is nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. But I know a lot of people parent the best way that they, they can, right? And, and I, I've done the same thing. It's kind of like if I could go back and have a redo with my children, I've learned so much, I might not mess it up so bad this time. 
but you just do the best you can in a lot of ways. You follow scripture and you try to do what God tells you to do, but we all mess it up because we're imperfect. Now, I remember one morning I was taking my boys to school, all three of them. Uh, my oldest was probably about eight. My, my middle was probably four or five. And then my youngest was just a baby. And I remember I was taking them all to school that day, which for me, that is um, problem number one, because just getting all of them in the car, even today when they're 14, 11, and six, is still a, a massive feat in and of itself just to get them in the car. But, but I finally get them all in the car and, and, and I start to back up. And, and as I start to back up, I don't realize that my oldest son left his door open. And so I'm backing up. They're all buckled into their seats and stuff. I'm backing up. He hasn't shut the door. We had one of those portable basketball goals on the side of the driveway. The door hits the basketball goal. The basketball goal falls on my truck. And it was almost like slow motion. It just went all the way down the side of my truck. And so I lost it. I'm not even going to tell you. I was like, well, Jesus has a better story for my life. Because... In that moment, like, there was none of that. It was like, what are you doing? You know, I was like, why did you do that? What, you know, and he didn't know. He's like this, you know, they're, they're petrified. Dad's flipping out. And, 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 and I just really lost it. I mean, I blew it. And I remember getting in the truck and finally getting all the doors closed. And, and I remember thinking, I blew it that time, Right. I was like, I really messed that situation up. And it bothered me all day. And then finally, I went to my oldest son later that day. And I said, buddy, I said, man, I got to tell you, I try hard to be a good dad. And I said, I just mess it up sometimes. And he looked at me, he goes, I know, dad. <laughs> and like, I don't know if he was saying I know because he knew how hard I try or he knew because he knew how much I messed it up. But either way, I figured it, it's probably both. And so um, we all mess it up to some degree. We all do things that, that, that shape. I, I have like these, these nightmare daydreams of what are my kids going to be telling their therapist in 20 years? You know, that kind of thing. I'm like, well, dad was a preacher, but, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. And so we're all shaped by people in our lives. And for some of us, we might have had sort of the, the hard line dad, the, the drill sergeant dad who, who told you, you know, it's going to be this way. And if you get out of line, I'm going, you know, it's going to be bad. And I'm going to pop you in the head and all these kind of things, you know. And, and you're constantly trying to, to, to do right. And, and so you sometimes take that and put that onto the image of God. And you think God's only happy with me. He only loves me if I'm exactly doing exactly what he wants me to do. And none of us can fit that. So we're constantly trying to audition for God's love rather than walking in the love that he has for us that has the ability to shape us and change us. And so we begin to believe this lie that I'm only loved if I perform well enough. And so we begin to live our lives that way. For some of us, it might've been an absent dad. Maybe dad wasn't there. You begin to believe this lie about yourself that something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with me. Why, why doesn't he love me? Why does he not want to be around me? And so we begin to believe this lie that something's wrong with me. We begin to look at God and we begin to think, yeah, God as a heavenly father, well, when's he going to leave me too? And we can begin to think things like that and believe things like that. But you have a God who says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. You have a God who loves you because he loves you, not because of anything you've done. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, he gave his son for us, that that proves God's love towards us. And so it's not what we do that makes him love us. It's 
the, 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 the behavior happens after the heart transformation has come. We begin to live out God's plan and God's will. But he loves us because he loves us. And that's sometimes something that's very difficult for us to accept. I know one of the experiences that shaped my life the most was uh, a mentor that I had. And um, sometimes you, you hear great stories about mentors. This one didn't go so great. Uh, it was in ministry. Um, I was um, following a, a guy who I thought was, was, was next to Jesus is the way I kind of looked at him and, and put him up on this pedestal. And um, we ended up working in the same church for a while. And the problem was that I started seeing things that, that to me just didn't look right. And when I began to question some things, it, it got really nasty and, and it got really hurtful really quick for me and the way that I walked through things. And so what began to happen is I began to be accused of wanting to take over the church and, and these kind of things, which is never my intent, never my heart. I didn't want it. And I, I was told things like, if you're ever gonna pastor a church, you've gotta preach better. You gotta preach better. Nobody's gonna wanna come hear you preach the way you preach. And so every time I would go to preach somewhere after that, even after we had started this church, because this happened only a few months before we started Connection, every time I would preach in the back of my mind, I was hearing that, that it's not good enough. You're never gonna do good enough. And Susan, my wife can tell you that it was like a living hell around our house on many Sunday afternoons because I would come home in such a bad mood because I felt like it wasn't good enough. I felt like I couldn't do good enough. And so I just constantly felt this, this, uh, condemnation over my life and it caused me to, to, to see myself the way I didn't need to see myself. It caused me to believe lies about myself. It affected everything in my life because this condemnation and these feelings of not being good enough affect every relationship. They affect you emotionally, they affect you physically, they affect you spiritually. And what you begin to believe is that I'm not good enough and I'm never gonna be good enough. We buy into this false identity. I came to a place finally about five years ago. I told you about this last week where I got to an all-time low and I ended up going to Colorado to a place called the Blessing Ranch and a man by the name of Dr. John Walker began to teach me um, more about who I was in Christ and what that looked like. And I'm just gonna tell you that it changed my life. The, the truth set me free. There were so many times that I would worry about um, what I was saying or, or, or it wasn't good enough and I walk in that condemnation, but the truth began to set me free that God didn't love me because of how well I preached. He loved me because I'm his son. And that's, that's for all of us in here. All of us in here today is that if you're in Christ, you are his son, you're his daughter, and he loves you because you're his son or his daughter, not because of what you can do for him. God doesn't need anything that we can do. He chooses to use us, yes, but he's completely satisfied within himself. He just loves us so much that he wants us to be a part of his life. I remember going out to Colorado and coming back and we baptized, I think it was like 35 people the Sunday I got back. I didn't preach that week, but, but I remember watching the baptisms and it was the first time since we had started the church and the church at this time was about four or five years old. It was the first time in the history of the Connection Church that I felt like God was smiling. When we were in Colorado, uh, I was told uh, to think about all the faces of the people's lives who had been changed through the church. The only faces I could see were the critics and the people who had tried to beat me up along the way. 
But finally, when I realized the truth and the truth really began to set me free, and I began to be able to see myself the way God sees me through Christ, it began to change everything. And that's what I want for you. I want for you to be able to experience the life transformation that Jesus can do in your heart and in your life. I wish I could go through like every possible scenario of, of what your life might be, but I can't. But here's the thing I do know, you know your story. You can identify how you got to where you are. And so this is something we don't do very often, but I wanna give you homework, right? I know if you're in college, you're like, I got plenty of homework or high school, you got plenty of, well, this is, this is a little bit more, right? Um, and so I'm gonna encourage you with this. Take time as I did when I was in Colorado to write down how I got here. It's the story of your life. It's sort of like your testimony. How, how did you get to where you are? How did you get to where you are in the way you see yourself, in the way you think about life, in the way you think about the world? What has shaped you to be that way? And I want you to ask yourself three questions as you do this. The first question is, what is my sore spot? What is the sore spot in my life? The, the thing, the they, the them, or the it that wants to destroy your life, that, that tends to cause your life to plummet um, in quality when you experience them. The they, the them, the it, that sore spot in your life. The second question is what caused it? What caused it? Why is it there? How did you get to where you are? The third thing is how is it affecting me? What's it causing you to do? What's the lies that you're believing? about you. If you'll take the time to write this out, I'm telling you, we're going to use these things later in this series, but just writing it out on paper and being able to see it is the beginning of being set free from the hold that some of these things have on your life. And so I'm encouraging you to take the time to do that. Here's the bottom line, guys, that we're going to get to. If what you've learned from your experience about who you are doesn't line up with what you've learned from God's truth about who you are, it's a lie. And you need to get rid of it and begin to walk in the truth that God has for you. The next three weeks, we're gonna spend looking at how Jesus transforms us by the truth of his word. And I believe this, it's not something that I came up with. It's not something that Dr. Walker came up with. It's just God's truth and the power of his truth that when we begin to look into his word and we begin to see who we are and we realize, yeah, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve what he gave me, but he did. He gave me his son and through him, now I may have been made righteous. When we begin to see that, it can change everything. It can change our lives in so many ways. And, and I want that for you. I want you to experience the power of the truth of God's word in a way maybe you've never experienced it before. I want you to realize, even if you're like Joseph's brothers that we talked about in the beginning, that God still has a plan for you. He still has a purpose for you. Listen, God through Joseph offered the brothers grace and mercy. Joseph in mercy and grace gave them a place that they could have in Egypt and some of the best land that they could have. What I'm telling you is that God had a plan for their life too. He made them into a great nation. He made them into the nation of Israel, the nation that the Messiah Jesus would come from. He had a plan for their lives. He's got a plan for your life. He's got a story for your life. And he wants to write that story through the truth of his word, through the truth of his gospel, 
But again, as I challenged you last week, I'm asking you this week again, who has the pen in your life? Are you trying to write your own story? Are you letting the world around you write your story? Or are you allowing God to write your story? It's a story of ups and downs. I'm telling you, it's not all perfect. It's the stories of good days and bad days, but it's also a story of God's unconditional love and grace operating in our lives consistently, no matter what the circumstance may be. It's the reality, it's the truth. Before we go, we're gonna sing one more song real quick. And during this song, I'm gonna invite you to come to the front and spend some time with God. Maybe you recognize a sore spot in your life and you wanna come and surrender that to God now, believing that God's gonna bring you through that in the truth. Jesus always gets us to the other side. He always brings us to holiness in his truth. And maybe you need to spend some time with God down here during this song. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ. You've never said yes to Jesus in a relationship with him. You've never experienced the love of God, but today God has spoken to your heart and you feel like the Lord is speaking to you, drawing you close to him. If that's you today, then your first step is to say yes to a relationship with God through Christ. If you're here today and that's you and you say, I want a relationship with Jesus. I haven't had that. I haven't had this relationship with God. I haven't walked in God's love, but that's what I want for my life. I want you to raise your hand and just in here with all of us to celebrate the fact that you are giving your life to Christ and surrendering to him. All right, then what I wanna do is I wanna pray. And as I'm praying, there's three, there's really three options. One is you can come to the altar and you can spend some time with the Lord and I hope that you will. The second is that you can stand at your seat and you can sing to the Lord, and I hope you will. The third one is you can go home, but I'm kind of hoping you don't do that one, right? And so I'm gonna pray and then I'm inviting you to come forward and spend some time with the Lord here or to worship God in your seat. But I'm gonna pray and then Chase is gonna lead us in a song. Let's pray. God, thank you for the story that you want to write in our lives. Thank you, God, for the truth that sets us free. God, I pray that we would begin to walk more and more in that truth, in the truth of who you are. God, thank you that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Set us free to live for you, to fulfill what you want us to fulfill, to live the lives that you want us to live, to walk in the power of the spirit, overcoming the obstacles that are in our path and the things that get in our way. But you said with the faith as small as a mustard seed that you, we can move mountains. God, I pray for that faith to rise up in this place and to lead us into truth, to lead us to follow you. That we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And will you stand and sing this with us?